0: Welcome to the Fully Restored Podcast. Christians often struggle to talk about areas of deep hurt like trauma or abuse, shame or betrayal. These are deep soul wounds. Friend, Christ came to not only heal us from our sin, but from our soul wounds as well. My name is Kristen Klaus, and I'm a licensed professional counselor and author, and my guest and I are here to walk with you on your healing journey. We see you and hear you. Friend, if you hang with me, apply these truths to your life, you will be on your own path to a fully restored story. Grab your coffee, tea, or favorite drink, and let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Kristen Klaus, and you're listening to the Fully Restored Podcast. Today, my guest, Kristen Faith Evans, and I are discussing having children with special needs. I so appreciate Kristen joining us today to talk about the difficult parts of her journey as an individual, as a mom, and a wife. And I know that her story is going to minister and encourage you as it will me. Welcome, Kristen, to the Fully Restored podcast. Thank you, Kristen. I'm so excited to be here. And I just have to make a small note. It's very rare to find another Kristen who spells their name the same as I do. So it's good to, to meet a fellow Kristen with an I-N. <laughs> I was so excited about that. Yeah, yes. Only for those of us who have that name understand. But I guess some of those with other names that have different spellings in them can relate to that as well. So Kristen, tell us a little bit about yourself, the work you do in your family.
1: Uh, My husband and I, Todd, we just celebrated 20 years of marriage this year. That was a really big celebration for us, which will make more sense uh, as we go on. I have two beautiful children who are both rare. My son will be 16 in August, and he was born with an extremely rare disorder. He was diagnosed finally as the 13th known case in the world, which has given him challenge after challenge his entire life. And then my daughter, Bethany Grace, was born. She just turned 12 and she has a different rare disorder called Creedy Shaw syndrome. And so my days are interesting. I am a licensed uh, master's social worker and an author and a speaker.
0: Well, that is wonderful that, that you are here with us, especially with such a full life and everything that's going on for you. So your son, that you just recently found out that he has the 13th known case in the world? Sorry, when he was a year and a half. Oh, okay.
1: They reran all that. He was very, very ill, developed no red flags and on a feeding tube. And they finally re everything again and, and found that's what it was.
0: Okay. And so do they have treatment for the disorder that he has, the disease he has? It's been trial and error, you know, because there's not much research. I think there were two papers
1: maybe at the time he was diagnosed. Just trial and error finally got his, he vomited nonstop um, until he was two years old all day long. And they finally figured out how to get that under control. Um, with special protein formula, low protein formula. And so it's just been a lot of interventions his entire life. He'll go into a new medical crisis. And so it's
0: trying to figure out, okay, what's going on? How do we treat this? So that's his life. And so since he was born, he has had on and off medical crisis episodes throughout his life? Yes. Yes. It's been a battle to save him both medically and developmentally his entire life. So to say that he's still with us is a miracle? It is a miracle. Yes. Yeah.
1: Four times over at least.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So Kristen, as a mom of two children with complex medical and developmental special needs, what has that journey been like for you? Like We talked about your son, but we didn't really talk about your daughter. So just kind of share with us what that journey has been like for you of a mom of two children with these needs? Well,
1: to sum it up, it has challenged me in every part of my life beyond how I could have ever imagined things would be difficult. It has affected me through every area, spiritually, mental health, my marriage, just wanting to live and feeling like I could keep going on, bearing all that I was going through. My husband and I, at the time our son was turning three, we had kind of figured out what was going on with our son, how to treat it. We had, you know, intensive, my full-time job was taking him to therapies and driving eight hours a day uh, back and forth across the state to take him to specialist appointments. And we kind of had that under control. We knew there was a one in four chance that our next child could have the same disorder, but we would know how to treat it immediately. But when I became pregnant with Bethany Grace, the trauma began very early on in the pregnancy. And the trauma has been one of the biggest pieces to my story and my journey. The entire pregnancy was just a nightmare day after day after day. They told us she wouldn't survive. Then they devastated us two days before Christmas, letting us know about her severe chromosomal deletion. And I had already gone into miscarriages and preterm labor countless times before that. She was born as a miracle through fetal distress and an emergency cesarean section, came out peak, was not on a ventilator at that point. And uh, doctors were standing baffled at the end of my hospital bed when I was waking up from anesthesia saying the heart condition we saw on the echocardiogram, it's gone. It's not there. We can't explain it. We can't explain how she survived. And I was like, well, I can, <laughs> you know, but that began my journey through A very, very dark and painful and excruciating spiritual crisis of faith and dark mental health spiral beginning in the NICU when she came home. I just felt like I couldn't keep doing it. And then the big piece, the major piece was I began to doubt my lifelong faith in God. And it became very painful and even torturous As I went through becoming angry and bitter, how could God take the blessing of a healthy child from me twice? Was he punishing me? How could God be good and allow my children to suffer and our family to suffer? So that began my distancing from God and my anger and bitterness and my journey into dark between the the trauma, the complex trauma. I was already becoming depressed before I was even discharged from the hospital after Bethany Grace's birth. I just began to spiral and it got to the point where I should have sought treatment early on, especially with the trauma. For various reasons, I didn't. We were in church ministry and uh, like most or a lot of Christians, what would people think if I sought mental health treatment? Even though I have no desire to go to church anymore, we didn't have the money. We were barely surviving. My husband didn't understand why I needed to seek treatment until it was too late. And by the time I did, I actually had a therapist say, we don't know how to help you. You've slipped through the grasp of our fingers. And so with no hope left, no faith left in God, just it was torturous being estranged from God. I made a a lethal suicide attempt. Doctors standing at the foot of my bed in the ICU when i woke up 4 days later from being on a ventilator and said so we cannot explain how you survived you should not have survived and so i knew at that point god had given me a second chance for some reason but it was still a daily struggle and i still could not figure out how to live and how to trust god at that point
0: you know i'm writing down um what you just said how to live and how to trust god at that same point and And I'm also thinking about what you talked about. There's a lot there that you just shared. And Kristen, thank you for your transparency with us. But you talked about the trauma of the second pregnancy. So your daughter was born, your son was four years old? Uh, He was about three at that time. About three. What I was thinking is with trauma, you know, you know this, but uh, maybe the listeners don't know this. With trauma, we often just live in survival mode and we can only do that for so long and then everything just kind of shuts down for us and you had been living in survival mode with your son and just trying to figure out what's going on and and you know you did say that at 3 years you figured out what and how to help him it sounds like you kind of got that groove of okay this is the rhythm this is what we're supposed to do to care for him but still that was difficult still that was crisis after crisis after crisis, and then having this pregnancy, the second pregnancy, and having crisis after crisis during that pregnancy with the pregnancy itself, and then spiraling. And I think people don't realize that we can only live in survival mode for so long. And it may not look like, because we feel like, I have to keep it together for my son. And let me say this as an example. This isn't your words. These are mine. You know, I have to keep it together for my son. But over here, over here, over here, my life is falling apart because we can't focus on we have to keep it together for my son and not realizing that in that moment we're needing to get help. You're spiraling after your daughter is born. You're spiraling even more. And I am so sorry as a mental health professional. I am so sorry for that counselor to say to you, I don't know how to help you. There is no help for you. Let me just say to the listener, if you ever have a counselor say that to you, go get another counselor, go find somebody else, because maybe that person didn't know how to help you, but they didn't refer you to somebody who could. That's what we should do when we feel in over our head as a therapist, like this isn't my area of specialty. I don't know how to help you in this. I need to refer you to somebody else. And I am so sorry that you went through that, Kristen, which then spiraled you even more in that dark, dark season that you were in. And then you woke up, you woke up and you were sitting in a hospital bed in four days after being on a ventilator, and once again, the doctor is telling you about another miracle. I'm thinking your daughter, you're told you wake up from anesthesia. Your daughter is a miracle. The heart condition is gone, and here you wake up. We don't know how it happened, but you're alive, and you're a miracle. So that began to shift things for you at that point? Not yet at that point. Okay. So how have all these extraordinary challenges, how have they impacted you? So you talk about going to that point of, we know that they impacted you to the point of suicide attempt. After that, what happened?
1: After being in the ICU and of course in the mental health hospital for eight more days, I I was feeling okay and went home and within probably two weeks, the pressure cooker, the overwhelming chronic stress just began to crush me again. And I had actually, you know, you spoke about the therapist who didn't refer me. Um, I found the therapist I needed, an incredible therapist. And she said, I said, I just don't know how to live. I can't keep doing this. And hadn't been able to reconcile this question of how could God be good? I just, I, it just tortured me. I had to find the answer. I had to understand. And she said to me, I see three options for you. You can either go on trying to live miserably like this, denying your reality, not dealing with things. You can attempt suicide again, or three, you can make the choice to begin to embrace your life as painful as it is. And I looked at her and I said, option three is too hard. I can't do that. And I left her office feeling like I'm still hopeless. And so I was trying to work on my health. I was trying to get out of the house. And so a couple of days later I was jogging through we had a beautiful state park near our home. And so I was jogging through the woods. I had done it hundreds of times on that trail. But I came to the lake shore that that day. And the way the sun was shimmering off the boulders in the water, it was just stunning. I just stopped in my tracks and I thought, how could God create such a beautiful scene and moment, but yet allow such suffering. And I finally the word embrace the mystery came to me. And I just thought, I have a decision here. I can decide to trust God not knowing that answer. And so I did. And that was the powerful, life-changing, transforming moment where I just said, God, I don't understand. I'm never going to know the answer. And I have to embrace that. And I did. God began to heal my connection with him, my relationship with him. And that gave me the strength and the hope to begin to believe that I could recover my mental health, that Todd and I could save our crumbling marriage that was on its last thread. And so that began the hard work of going to pastoral counseling Intensive therapy two to three times a week, trying medication, psychiatric medications, which I had an incredible new psychiatrist who figured out I had treatment resistant, very resistant depression. And so that began, and I'm still going to therapy. I will say that my daughter is 12, and I am still going to therapy for the trauma and just to process, you know, the trauma that happened last week with my children. But that was definitely the turning moment when I realized, is this what faith is? i had had a lifelong faith, but I finally, you know, realized trusting God, not knowing that is faith and that is powerful and that is healing. So that
0: began my journey of healing. As you were talking, I love that, that thought that came into your spirit, embrace the mysteries. And I was thinking about the sufferings. And for whatever reason, we have a mindset. This isn't about you. This is everybody. We have a mindset that we're not to suffer. But most certainly as a parent, we never want our children to suffer. And, and really, there was a wrestling. You had a Jacob experience. You were wrestling with God of who God is and to understand the way our world is and this wrestling with your faith, because you talked about even before when you were spiraling out, of when you guys were in position at church, on staff, and, and that, you know, what are people going to think about mental health if I get mental health treatment? And here you've spiraled, but God led you to the right people, to the right counselor, to the right pastors, to the right support system to get you through, to make that decision to choose to live, but not just miserably, but actually choose to live. I often work when I work with families that have experienced loss, unfortunately, to suicide. One of the biggest things when it's a child in a, or a teenager or a young adult, one of the biggest things is for that parent is making a decision to live. And I have worked with families where the parents have made that decision and said, I'm going to live but not just hanging on by a thread kind of living like what you had done for many years as they have done for many years but I'm going to choose to live I'm going to choose to engage back in life and then sadly there are family members that parents that weren't able to handle that and they chose to take their life as well and that's a difficult difficult thing and and we don't talk often about suicide in the church or suicide attempts in the church or severe mental health issues and, and having a depression diagnosis that it is resistant to treatment. So was that the medication that the depression was resistant to?
1: So I, you know, I had gone faithfully um, to a psychiatrist and had taken went through a medicine cabinet of different medications and just nothing was working. And then it was after I made the choice that I'm going to fully dive into my life. I'm going to find a new psychiatrist. I'm going to go to a therapist who's going to help me learn how to cope. So it was the combination of everything. It was the therapist who helped me learn coping skills to fully embrace my life and to process trauma. It was going to a new psychiatrist who did genetic testing, actually.
0: I was just going to mention that to you, that they're actually, and and let me pause you for a moment for the listener that doesn't know what that is. There is testing that they can do now that tests um, through your blood, your genetics, and tells you what medications work for you and which medications don't. So often we're getting prescribed these medications and we're thinking antidepressants don't work for us or whatever anxiety medication or whatever it is. And the truth is it's not the right medicine for your genetic, for your body. So that's what happened. They did that for you and found the medicines that would work right for you. Yes, he did. He found a, And I'm still,
1: I will just say as a mental health therapist, and I'm not ashamed to say it, I'm still on medications. That many years later, especially with the stress that I face, but he found the right combination. I actually had to go on an additional, it's approved uh, for treatment resistant depression, but kind of a, a new kind of treatment. I had to go on a, another medication, a third one to augment the other depression medication. And that's when the dark cloud began to lift. Okay, And that, but in the combination with everything else, the the therapist and the pastoral counseling, healing my marriage through marriage counseling. But yes, the dark cloud finally, it was like, God opened my eyes to see the lies of depression. And, you know, it is a physical chemical health disorder. It it is a, a health. Chemical neurological changes, neurotransmitters in your brain, but also it's the combination of of everything else, uh, the hard work that I was doing. But it did give me that boost to have the energy, to have the motivation and the hope to continue to work on recovery.
0: I so appreciate you, Kristen, being honest about still being on the medication because so many Christians struggle with this. This is kind of my little soapbox thing here. You know, they struggle with being on medication thinking, I don't have enough faith, I'm not trusting God. And I always tell them, you know, for whatever reason, we as the church disconnect our head, the brain, from the rest of our body and all the organs in the body. So, if somebody has high blood pressure and they're taking high blood pressure medication, we don't condemn them. We don't say, you don't have enough faith, you don't have enough trust in God, you need to pray harder, you need to do all these things, which for somebody with depression and anxiety, that actually makes you feel worse. Just letting you all know, please don't say that to your friends and family because that condemns them more, that puts more weight on them. And then somebody with diabetes there's there's three levels of diabetes so the first level is exercise doing healthy eating and taking care of yourself can help some individuals with diabetes losing weight and then they don't have to be on medication and it treats it for others they need to be on a pill and they need to do the diet and the healthy eating and all of that stuff and exercise and you know, the, the right kind of diet, not you know, staying away from some of the carbs and everything. And that can help many individuals. But there are some that need to be on the insulin. And that is because their pancreas is not producing the right amount of insulin. So we never condemn somebody who has diabetes. We never come to them and say, "You don't have enough faith and trust in God." You need to go off of that, off of your insulin and just trust Jesus. And then what happens? They can go into a diabetic coma. But that's the same with somebody with depression. It is just as severe, if not more severe in some cases for individuals. And so, you know, let's just take that off and say, hey, let's not condemn people about whether they're on medication or not. Because that right there, God has given researchers and doctors the wisdom to figure out our bodies. They have the wisdom to treat diabetes. They have the wisdom to treat depression. They have the wisdom to treat cancer. And we need to change that wrong thinking within the church and within Christians community that Christians should not be taking Antidepressants or any type of mental health medication. That is just not healthy. And you are an example, Kristen, of somebody who pressed in, who had a really difficult time, but pressed in, found the right psychiatrist, had one, didn't agree with him, went to another one, had a counselor, didn't agree with them, went to another one. But you did the work because you realized your life was worth fighting for and your family was worth fighting for, and you made that choice to live, and what God has done in and through you because of that. And I want you to tell us, what was your fully restored story? How did you go from that darkness and that helplessness and hopelessness to thriving and living fully with God? And how did that relationship with God fit into your story? Well... As I said, it was in that moment of absolute, utter
1: despair and darkness that I turned to God. And I was, I was just so tortured not being close in my relationship with him. And in that moment, when I decided to go back to him and allow him to comfort me, allow him to give me that strength, that's when I began to rise up out of that hopelessness and darkness. And that has filled my heart and soul with love and joy and passion for life. I have learned a new perspective of gratitude and just simple joy for each new morning and each new moment, just living in each new moment, being grateful to God that my daughter is is doing okay today. That I have the opportunity to help other people who were suffering in darkness to find the hope, to know that God and Jesus are there with you, just waiting to lift you up. And so it was through beginning to trust God again, allowing Him to heal me a lot of healing over the years through therapy and through just spending time sitting in the Lord's presence, allowing Him to just. Kill me, kill my heart, the the brokenness, the grief, the chronic grief that disability parents experience. and just learning to embrace that grief, embrace the trials of my day, and just accept every moment of my day. and out of that, pouring into others to help them find the courage to seek help, to turn to God, to trust God, and to rise up out of that dark suffering.
0: Yeah. And I'm thinking of also the listeners that you said chronic grief. And just before you said chronic grief, I was thinking about, you know, really what you're talking about as being a parent of a child or children with special needs It would be very easy to never put ourselves on the to-do list. Like we're always just taking care of the kids and their needs. And really, you had to put yourself on your to-do list. You had to make yourself as much of a priority as your children, because if you didn't, you wouldn't be here to help them. Parents, listeners who have children with special needs, you know, there's some that maybe, you know, I believe you had mentioned your daughter. Well, both of them, they're always going to be in your care. You're always going to be taking care of them. So it's not that traditional sense that at a certain age, our children graduate, they go off and do their own thing. And so it would be very easy to not put yourself on your to do list. So, how do you and your husband? So you we're talking about like the mental health part of where you go in the counseling and doing all that work and that you're doing. But how do you and your husband, because I'm thinking of that listener who's like, yeah, but you know, that's on that mental health part, but my marriage is falling apart, which you talked about, your marriage falling apart. How do you and your husband consistently put yourselves, your marriage on your to-do list as well?
1: It became, you know, self, I want to say that the word self-care. A lot of people are reacting to that word because they think it means pampering yourself, you know, going to get a manicure. And when I speak of self-care and I tell my story of how I did not and how that didn't end well, I'm referring to basic eating healthy, getting out for walks, spending time with your, your spouse, which can feel impossible. And what I learned is and this was about eight years ago. There's never a good time. There is never a good time to try and get out of the house and go for a walk. There's never a good time to try and spend time with your spouse. It feels impossible for there's just so many barriers. But my husband and I finally made the decision we're going to have to find a way. And one of the first things we did was support each other in signing up for races. And I realized I needed a goal. I needed a goal to help me commit to caring for myself. And so I began to train for the sprint triathlon. And that is a stress outlet. That is something I'm doing for me. That is a feeling of accomplishment. But then it began to be my husband supporting me. I was supporting him. And then, and we began to really support one another. And that was the beginning of the healing of our marriage. And I just want to say to listeners, if you feel like you can't care for yourself, you have a child, you can't get respite care. You can't even get out of the house because they're on four machines. You have got to find a way. You have got to find a way to spend quality time with your spouse. And that's going to mean advocating for yourselves. That's going to mean fighting for that Respite care from the state, or speaking up and asking somebody from church, "Hey, can you come sit with my daughter so I can actually go to church with my husband?" It takes courage and it takes energy, which we don't have. And I just want to say, you have got to do that. And so that's when we began to realize we are just going to have to make caring for ourselves and our marriage a priority. Then I began to once I did that. I began to become a better mom, a more patient mom. And and that's what I think is hard for people to realize. There's so much guilt that goes into being a disability parent.
0: And I love how you gave examples there because I was going to ask, okay, what are some of those examples of how to get respite care? You know, go to the state because there's a department specifically in each state that's a federal agency, right? that is for individuals of disabilities and that they can help provide resources and things for you as well as, like you said, asking somebody from church or asking a family member that there are people and places to get help. It's just a matter of starting to advocate. I remember working with one particular family who had a son with severe autism he was very violent in the home. He was teenage years age, and um, there were small children in the home as well. And he had gotten very violent. And we were very hard advocating and pressing that state. I stepped in and was helping and contacting the state on a regular basis saying, OK, you know, what are the resources you can do to help this family? You, you know, you need to step in and help. And they ended up helping them, and um, this young man's life was turned around by the programs that they were able to get him involved in. And he was happy, and the family was happy, but it took me stepping in because they were exhausted. They literally were exhausted, and me as a counselor who actually was working with them, just stepping in and advocating and pushing and pushing and pushing and not I don't think they thought I was their favorite person, the State Departments, because I was pushing very hard, but I wanted them to do their job because I knew this family was desperate. So there are resources that are out there and to find out what those are. So as our time is starting to wind down here, Kristen, with your life experience, because man, you have got so much life experience and it hasn't all been easy But God has brought you through so much. What are two or three things that you can share with our listener as they're on their own journey of restoration? They are a parent of children with disabilities. They are struggling with depression, anxiety, survival, the trauma, much like what you've talked about. What's some words of wisdom you can share with them? First, I want to say
1: one of the hardest things to believe is that there's hope, that things will get better, that you will start to enjoy life again and have joy. I couldn't see that. I thought that was gone. But now I can see that is always there. And if you are struggling in your faith, angry with God, I just encourage you to go to him with those hard questions and pour out your heart and receive that healing and counsel that is the first thing i would say the second thing i would say is you need connection we are not meant to journey on this alone you need connection and support and whether you have you feel like you have no one but going to a pastor going to a professional counselor if you have any doubts at all that you might be experiencing mental health go seek treatment and again there are Programs, there's sliding fee scales. A lot of therapists offer sliding fee scales, or there's the community mental health center. Go seek treatment as soon as you're concerned, because trust me, the outcomes will be better.
0: (laughs) And third,
1: I just encourage you to begin to have simple gratitude for each day. Find little moments to live in, even if you can't see anything that's good in your life. Just this, go out and see the sun, and just say, "I'm grateful for the sun today." I mean, just little things, and you'll begin to find that you'll begin to experience more joy and hope for living. So, those would be those aren't practical coping skills because I know a lot of people want to say, "Do this coping skill, do this coping skill." That comes with seeking mental health treatment and beginning to care for yourself. But these are. The overarching three ways to begin to find hope and joy again in your life.
0: Those are three great tools and recommendations. So, Kristen, as we're winding down here, how can people connect with you online? So I love empowering not just
1: moms, but also dads who have disability children or special needs on my blog and website, which is special needs. Mom'sBlog.com, And so I have a lot of resources there for different, for spiritual connection with God, for coping skills, for, um, I speak a lot about mental health and faith, and I would just love for you to come and just check that out. And so that's one place. And I do post a lot of encouraging messages on uh, Instagram, which is special needs mom's blog on Instagram. So those are two places that I
0: would just love to connect with you listeners. And at her website, there is a wealth of information and things that we weren't able to really dive into today too much. But Kristen and her husband really do a lot of things helping support couples in marriage with children that have children with special needs. So there is just a wealth of information you're going to find about her and her husband and the ministry and the things that they do. So I encourage you to go to her website. Well, thank you, Kristen, for joining us today. It has been such a joy and a pleasure to have you with us. Our show notes and all the links shared with us today can be found at my website, fullyrestored.love, You can subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all of our shows. And I would so appreciate it if you would leave a reading as well on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Truly friends, those ratings make all the difference in the world of podcasting. I would love to stay connected with you. You can find me on my Instagram and Facebook pages. Both of those are at author Kristen Klaus. I pray that this episode of Fully Restored Podcast ministered to you. It encouraged you and has given you hope in your own life journey of whether it is mental health needs, being a parent of special needs children, or both, that you see that Kristen has come through on the other side, and so can you. And remember, friends, nothing or no one is beyond restoration with our Jesus.